0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 14. Episode 4.
1: This is Writing Excuses, writing the other bisexual characters. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Tempest. I'm Dong Wan. And I'm TJ. Yeah, we have our wonderful guest with us today, TJ Berry. And uh, what are we going to talk about today, TJ? Actually, before we do that, why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Hi, I'm TJ Berry. I'm an author of science fiction fantasy mashups. Um, and I uh, this is my second time joining Writing Excuses on the Writing Excuses Cruise. And I'm a longtime listener.
1: Well, that's awesome. We are excited to have you here with us. Uh, this is the first of a series that we are going to be doing. Uh, in previous years, you've heard a lot of the uh, What Writers Get Wrong podcasts, and those are awesome and informative. We wanted to do another series that was a little more constructive, where we give you great advice and about how you can write these other things. And this is the brainchild of Tempest Bradford. What can you tell us about the Writing the Others series, Tempest?
2: Well, basically, it's all about getting writers to understand that it is okay to write characters who aren't like you. And yes, there are many ways to get it wrong and to fall into the fail hole, but there are also a lot of ways to get it right. And it's actually much better if you learn how to get it right from constructive examples. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about in this series. We're gonna be giving you tools to learn how to write these characters well and so that everyone is happy.
1: Awesome, cool. So what are we talking about today?
2: Uh, we're going to talk about bisexual representation. Um, and I wanted TJ to come on because I know that TJ is a bisexual person um, and TJ writes fiction that has bisexual people in it. And especially since TJ is in a relationship with a person who is not her gender. And so from the outside, it may look a lot like TJ is in a heterosexual relationship. And and that's one of the many sort of... Um, nuances of writing bisexual characters that I thought that you would be a great person to talk about that.
0: Awesome. So yeah, you know, backing up just a a little bit and making sure that people understand um, what the definition of bisexual is. um, A person who is bisexual is someone who has an attraction to two or more genders. Um, You can also use the language that it is yours and another gender. Um, Outdated language uses binaries like Attracted to the two genders, we don't really use that much anymore because we've recognized that gender is a spectrum. So we don't use that. We don't use that binary language much anymore. Tempest, as you said, um, I am married to a cisgender man, and I have been for 21 years. But that doesn't make me any less bi. So one of that segs really neatly into one of the things that, if you are writing a bisexual character, you need to keep in mind is that um, there's a phenomenon called bi erasure by which if um, specifically a a person is in a relationship with somebody who is not of their gender, it can read as a straight relationship. Mm
3: -hmm. And
0: just because you're in a relationship with somebody who is not of your gender does not make you necessarily straight. Mm -hmm. I am no less bi because I am married to a man. Um, So as a writer, when you are creating bi characters, you should be aware of bi erasure as a concept and how to avoid it. Um, Some of the things, like the tropes that have been used in the past that contribute to bi-erasure that you should avoid, um, treating bisexuality like a phase. Like, oh, this is just something you're exploring and then you're actually a straight person. Um, And also... uh, uh, the reverse of that is, I've heard the phrase, and this was on Sex in the City, which I quite enjoy, they call bisexuality a layover to gay town. <laughs>
3: wow. wow. <Yeah. laughs> that show has not aged well. No, no it has not.
0: <laughs> bisexuality is not a layover to gay town, nor is it a stop on the cruise to gay town. <laughs> um, You know, uh, bisexual people are are queer people. And so for an example of the layover to to gay town in in television and film, um, think of Buffy's Willow. Buffy's Willow for four seasons um, dated uh, guys. And then all of a sudden in season four, she declares, I'm gay now. Which can be a thing that happens, but it also can lead to bisexual erasure. She, mm-hmm. she dated men and was clearly happy dating men. Um, and then all of a sudden was like, click, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. So, yes, those things can happen. But because bisexual people are so infrequently infre- represented, when that changeover occurs, it, it erases her bisexuality. Right. Um, so be aware of that when you're writing and have bisexual characters who are visible. And who are seen and who are treated as bisexual and queer people. Now, I kind of use those terms a little interchangeably. A lot of that is personal preference. Um, Somebody may use the term bisexual. Someone may use the term pansexual, which Mm -hmm. is similar but not exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Um, Pansexual generally is um, someone who's attracted to all genders. Um, But some bisexual people are also attracted to all genders. The language on this is evolving constantly.
2: Yeah. And Um, it's very just layered and nuanced, right? Absolutely. There are a lot of people who who like adamantly are like, I'm pansexual because bi means this and bi doesn't actually mean that. But like for them, bi meant that. And they're like very much like, no, I want to be sure that I am inclusive of everything. Exactly. Yeah. And a
0: lot of this is what word feels right to you. Yeah. And some people will just simply use the word queer as an umbrella term and that's fine too. Um, yeah. You know, some people have started reclaiming bi even though it has that bi in it and people get really thrown by the the two prefix bi. People are really reclaiming it to mean Um, two or more genders.
3: Um, I can jump in for a second. One thing I want to talk about a little bit is um, sort of the mechanics of how bi invisibility gets reinforced in fiction. And it's a thing that we see happening a lot when dealing with any kind of marginalization is there's the power of the default, right? Whenever you're not explicitly stating somebody's uh, sexual orientation, their gender identity, their racial identity, there's going to be a lot of pressure for your reader to automatically assume that they are whatever the default is for the culture that they come from. In Here in the U.S. and in the West generally, it's often cisgendered white heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. So when you have a bi character dating someone of the a, a different gender or of the opposite gender of them, then there's going to be that default assumption that they're they're hetero. And so, you know, what are some ways that we can flag that in an explicit way to sort of resist the default being assigned to those characters?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, an example of something that happens, I know we all love the good place, but, <laughs> but along your, your lines, Don Juan, of tagging, um, Eleanor often makes jokes about how attractive she finds Tahani in The Good Mm -hmm. Place, and that is great, but the creators have explicitly said that she is not bisexual, and so it is treated as a joke, and she's not tagged as bisexual, so that's a way that bio-erasure can be enacted in our our popular culture, Um, because it's played—you know, sometimes— Uh, relationships between two two people of the same gender are played as a joke, whereas the opposite gender relationship or the different gender relationship is played as serious. And that's Mm -hmm. a a way to erase it. So if you are having a bisexual character in a work that you're creating, make sure that you are treating with the same seriousness the relationships of all genders.
2: Right.
1: This is actually a a hole that is very easy to fall into. Uh, The third Pitch Perfect movie did exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. Or no, it was the second Pitch Perfect movie um, where there was, similar to Tahani, a female character who was very tall, very attractive, and very dominant in personality. And the Mm -hmm. main character was constantly making these kind of joking references to attraction that were never actually taken
3: seriously. And so it does show up a lot that people do that thing. Sure. And Mm -hmm. we see it between male characters as well, you know, thinking of any time we see The Rock and Kevin Hart on screen together, there's always Mm -hmm. that sort of like little bit of attraction tension That's part of what makes their comedy duo work. But it always is played for sort of this queer panic laughs. Exactly. And that's very Mm -hmm. frustrating.
0: Yeah, the laugh is exactly like you say. It's a a nervous laugh. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we wouldn't really want that to happen. But yes, we kind of do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what Hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with a Accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from
1: the NARTS. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boy's easy-opening, smooth-pouring container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy Paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. All right, let's pause for our book of the week, which is... Space Unicorn Blues by T.J. Berry.
0: Yeah, so Space Unicorn Blues uh, came out July from Angry Robot Books. Um, The pitch is, a disaster gay in space cooperates with a talking unicorn in order to deliver a time-sensitive magical cargo to save humanity from the coming apocalypse.
2: I love it. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Every single piece of that sounds amazing.
0: (laughs) And uh, I'm not sure when we'll actually uh, air this, but if by then the sequel is coming out in May of 2019, it is called Five Unicorn Flush. And our disaster gay is back with all of her friends. And now she has to protect a planet full of magical fairy tale beings from humans who want to colonize and exploit them.
1: Fantastic! And All it right. doesn't go well. Okay. <laughs> that is "Space Unicorn Blues" by T.J. Berry. Where can people find that?
0: People can find it online, Amazon, bookstores. It's it's really delightful to go into bookstores and find your Isn't own it book. though? say to debut thing. author, that is my greatest joy. Wonderful.
1: All right. Well, let's get back into this. One of the things we really want to focus on is that what we're here to do is to give you, as an author, tools you can use to port if you choose to use bisexual characters. Here's some great ways that you can do it well. So what are some things that they can keep in mind or include in their fiction or in their descriptions so that they can do this right and do it well?
0: Sure. So one of the things that I highly recommend is that you make your characters intersectional. So that people are never just one thing. Mm -hmm. So you may have a bisexual character, but keep in mind this character may also be disabled. They also may be Latina. They may, um, you know, come from a marginalized background that, that hasn't been explored fully. Um, Make sure your characters are are intersectional and real. Um, One of the things I'd like to talk about is there is a book by C.B. Lee called Not Your Sidekick, which is a YA book. Really fantastic. The heroine is Asian. She is Vietnamese, Chinese American, and she's a bisexual teen girl. Um, So you've got a lot of different things going on. And that is what happens in people's lives. People are never just one thing. Um, She is the daughter of superheroes, but she has no superpowers. And so she gets an internship with a local supervillain. And so we're basically looking at sky high, but queer, Mm -hmm. um, which is amazing. And one of the things that's done really well in this book is not just the inclusivity, but the intersectionality. So you have um, someone who is Vietnamese, Chinese American, and is dealing with being you know, the, the um, cultural implications of being second generation and her bisexuality. Mm-hmm. So intersectionality is something that um, writers should definitely take a look at. Um, another thing is positivity. Make sure that if you have bisexual characters, that they are not just—and um, this goes for marginalized characters in general. Make sure they are not just receiving the brunt of homophobia, racism. You Make sure you are showing the positive sides of their life. And um, a book that really does this quite well is uh, Passing Strange by Ellen Kleges. Um It's a novella from Tor.com. It is of 1940s San Francisco, and it has uh, magic in it. So it's really delightful. The LGBTQIA representation is fantastic. The characters are very well-rounded. Um, and they she is able to touch on the realities of queer life without making it a tragic gay story. Mm-hmm. This is a positive, uplifting love story where we see some of the discrimination and hardships that come with this life, but also... Um, Things go well in the end, so <laughs> yeah. make sure that you're not doing the usual trope of bury your gays, um, which means that your your gay characters are disproportionately killed off in your narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. Make sure that that queer people have happy endings um, and that they also find love. Yeah. So those are those are some things um, that you can definitely look at to make sure you're doing the right thing. Also, make sure your bisexual people are just. Normal people. Yeah, um, exactly. There is a stereotype that bisexual people, this was more in the past, but still is kind of, you know, pops its ugly head up now and then, is, is that bisexual people are promiscuous. And this is, you know, just because bisexual people have a larger dating pool doesn't necessarily mean that is true. Um, bisexual people are soccer moms, you know? <laughs> um, just write that into your your narrative as, as you know, daily life. Um you know, uh, people are married, they have domestic lives, and not everything is is necessarily um, clubs all the time. Right. It's yeah. not
2: always about, like, their sexuality. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another thing I want to mention is um, if you are going to have a bisexual character that is going to have relationships with people from multiple genders, it's really important to to not privilege some relationships over others Um, and this is a mistake that um, I found in Torchwood um, which had which was supposed to be a very bisexual program and I wrote a whole essay about this so I won't go into like all the things about Torchwood that made me mad but like one of the core things was how even though Captain Jack Harkness was bisexual, omnisexual, or whatever they were calling it at the time, it was very clear that the relationships that he had with men were, like, real impactful relationships on him as a character. And the relationships we had with women were, like sad, pale, like, smears on a bagel in comparison. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And and it was, and that's, like, a problem that Russell T. Davies has in general when he's writing bisexual characters. And that's and that's maybe in part because he is a gay man, is, like, pulling more from his, like, his relationships that are deep and, True. and whatever are with men because he is gay. And so, like, he sort of transferred that to his character that was supposed to be omnisexual. So I would say, like... You know, you don't have to have your bisexual character having relationships with multiple people to prove that they're bisexual in your work. But if you do decide to have that, if you do decide to have them have multiple relationships, make sure that, like it's It's clear that all those relationships are meaningful, not just some of them. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, one of the last things, I cannot enough stress the importance of sensitivity readers. Um, on this last book, Space Unicorn Blues, um, I hired the services of five sensitivity readers for um, because it is a fairly diverse book with a lot of intersecting mar- marginalizations that, Um, are not mine. And um, I'm going to quote Nisi Shaw here, who I I love very much, who says, um, there is a difference between writing um, a diverse set of characters and... um, Telling someone else's story. So what is helpful is if you can get a sensitivity reader who can come in and say, no, you are telling someone else's story that maybe you should not be telling. And I know Mary Robinette has told the story many times about she had a book where she was telling someone else's story and decided to pull back on it. Um, I cannot stress enough how important it is, because even certain turns of phrases that you will not recognize as problematic um, someone who is own voices will look at this and say, no, you should not use this particular word. And it may not be a very problematic word, but the phrase itself may be something that that indicates something that you would not know as a member, as not a member of that community. Yes. Um, so hire sensitivity readers and Definitely. pay them.
1: Absolutely. And we want to stress the whole purpose of this series of episodes is to tell you that you can write these kinds of characters and we want you to write these kinds of characters that it benefits the entire industry the more you know of this that we have it, but there are those lines that are easy to cross and hard to notice if you're not part of that community exactly. and that's why sensitivity readers are so valuable definitely,
2: definitely. i wish that
1: we had more time we uh, really need to end though and uh, tj you've got some homework to give us.
0: Yeah, this is an easy homework. You don't have to write, but uh, what I would love for people to do is find the 100th episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They have a canonically bisexual character, Rosa Diaz, on the um, 100th episode, which, by the way, a 100th episode of a show is a big deal. Mm -hmm. So to dedicate the 100th episode to the coming out of your bisexual character is is a really fantastic thing. This is her coming out episode, and she talks to her family members. And not only is it difficult, Um, and she has a really tough time getting through it, it has to happen multiple times. And this is something that people who are not queer may not understand is that coming out is not a one-time thing. It's multiple conversations in multiple spaces and sometimes with the same people over time. Um, So, Brooklyn Nine-Nine handles this beautifully and I would love for people to take a look at how they did it.
1: Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Um, This has been a fantastic episode. Thank you very much uh, to TJ for being here, and Thank you. of course Dongwan and Tempest for joining me here. Um, this is Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses now. Go write.
0: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.